This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, we are welcoming Dr. Kelly Vincent to the show. Dr. Kelly is a licensed clinical psychologist out of California, and she's joining us today to talk about imposter syndrome. I've had Dr. Kelly on Instagram for quite some time. I value what she puts out there. When she started sharing her series on imposter syndrome, I went knocking on her door to have her here to dive into this topic today. She shares with us what imposter syndrome truly is and how it shows up for us in motherhood, what the various types are, some of the potential causes, and the patterns and ways in which they show up so we can really know whether this is something that we struggle with or not. Then we tackle how to manage imposter syndrome. This is something that was such a surprising and exciting interview to dive into because no one I have come across is talking about this topic, but it's such a prevalent feeling that we have in motherhood where, you know, we're not doing it well enough or someone's going to show up at the house and realize that we're really not keeping it up in the way that maybe social media portrays that we are. This is a valuable conversation today that I think will help to bring some insight and understanding to some of those feelings that we experience in motherhood. So buckle up and get ready for my conversation with Dr. Kelly today. Before jumping in, I just want to let you know that the verdict is in on our last Mummy Rage workshop. Dr. Asherina Reem, Psyched Mummy, and I held a Mummy Rage workshop, and the response has been overwhelming. Here are just a couple of the comments made in the chat along the way. This has been so amazing, so appreciative of your time. This has been incredible, very comforting, learning some new skills that I can implement for any future outbursts. I'm glad to know I'm not the only one who experiences this. I didn't know there would be so much sharing today. It's so relieving not to feel alone or feel like a bad person. This has been cathartic in a way, literally in tears. Thank you for showing me and all of us that I'm not alone in this. It was a really powerful time with so many of us gathered to talk about our struggles in motherhood, our struggles in regulating ourselves in motherhood, and how we can learn new skills to try and improve while also practicing self-compassion and extending grace to ourselves. If you are interested in taking this Mummy Rage workshop in the future, head to happyasamother.co slash mummyrage to join the waitlist and be notified of when this event will be held again. All right, let's hear my conversation with Dr. Kelly. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Kelly, thank you so, so much for joining us today. 
you have coordinated with me from the West Coast to Toronto and your momming and private practice. And we've managed to carve out a time together. So thank you so much. Yes, thank you for having me. I want to get into your story a little bit and how you came to specialize in working with women and anxiety and today our topic, which is imposter syndrome. But I have to tell you something and you would not know this because I haven't communicated it to you otherwise. In my very first year of trying to figure out Instagram, I started off as like a lifestyle, uh, it's called make it to nap kind of mommy blogger. And I went through this program called Influence to Income, which was just essentially a training on Instagram. And I had no idea what I wanted to do on Instagram. And then my friend sent me your page. Oh. And you had maybe like 1,100 followers at the time. And she's like, you know what, Erica? You could totally run a page like this. And it was educational and it was therapy focused. And I actually have to kind of credit your page to this like beginning of my journey. And I didn't even know that therapists did that. And like, here we are and I'm sitting down with you. So just, I feel, I feel so honored. Uh, That's so sweet. Yeah. And I think that from there, I searched and researched and kind of found some other therapists and stuff on Instagram. But yeah, your account was my first inspiration. So how about that? (laughs) I had told you earlier that you were one of the first mommy accounts that after I had my son that I was like, oh, I need this in my life. It's so helpful. That's so funny. Good old We never know how we are like inspiring people or like how, you know, we have an impact on their stories. So I just wanted to take a moment to share that with you. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Now we'll kind of go into a conversation around imposter syndrome about how much we don't acknowledge you know, those types of compliments or those like praise and things like that. So totally weave into everything we talk about today. Yeah. All the listeners know that I, I love to ask guests how they got into specializing and kind of niching down in their field, because I know it's not a linear path to kind of find your way into something you enjoy to do. So mm-hmm. how did you find yourself working with women? And you've come from a very like holistic perspective as well. How did that come about? How did you get down that path? So, so the holistic part, it was something that I was always interested in. I, I essentially grew up playing sports. I, I always sort of resonated with the use of like exercise and, and feeling better, boosting mood, that kind of thing. So that led me to doing my dissertation around sort of integrating exercise and therapy, which then kind of led me to then want to become a yoga teacher and very interested in like somatic experiencing and essentially kind of pairing the talk therapy with the body. So oh. that huge passion of mine. As it relates to women and zoning in on women, that just sort of naturally came about. When I started my practice, I wasn't necessarily totally like, this is the only population I want to work with. But I just, of course, identifying as a woman and having my own experiences, of course, just sort of led me into wanting to kind of zone in on women who are struggling with anxiety, depression, trauma, women that are interested in integrating more of the mind-body And I would say anxiety and imposter syndrome specifically, of course, I've had my own experience with both of those for a long time. So a lot of my own sort of uh, growth and experience of those two experiences that I then want to kind of help others sort of learn about it, understand it, and then manage it or better Mm -hmm. manage it. All of sort of my areas of specialty kind of just have naturally evolved into what they are. And I bet you in five years, 10 years, when you talk to me, maybe they're, they've evolved in a different direction, but I just kind of sort of zone in on what resonates with me and just resonates what I feel really passionate about and really interested in. And then it kind of just goes from there. 
Yeah. That's what I find makes some of the most passionate professionals is when we have some stake in the game or we've gone through some of these experiences, right? Like I was more of a general practitioner, I would call myself, you know, before I became a mom. And then I really saw this need in my own life, had zero preparation for it or any kind of understanding, even from like a clinical perspective in terms of training. And I just really lit a fire in me, right? So I love hearing those personal experiences because typically there are some that lend to this passion that we have. Yeah. And the imposter syndrome in particular, I learned the term in graduate school when my dissertation chair was like, man, Kelly, you really struggle with imposter syndrome. And I was like, okay, imposter's ringing it, ringing true, but like, tell me more, had no clue, had no understanding of it. So that's kind of what sparked my interest was, was when I had my own experience because I was in digital marketing before I switched. I did a complete 180, just hit what I called a quarter life crisis. I was like 25, 26. And I was like, I can't do this. This isn't fulfilling. I, I, this isn't what I want to do. And so psychology is always something I gravitated towards. It was always something that was super interesting to me, but I had no experience with it whatsoever. I wasn't an undergrad. I was a business major, this and that. So talk about feeling like an imposter when I started grad school. Fish out of water. Where am I? So that's also kind of my interest in this particular topic and anxiety in general and what's kind of led me to sort of zone in on it. And because I know a lot of people struggle with it as we'll get into. (laughs) I can't wait because I feel like this is something that a lot of women struggle with, a lot of moms struggle with. I know therapists and people in our field struggle with because there's this mentality in our field, I feel like. You know, if you're not publishing academic peer review articles, then, you know, like all the things. So I, there's a huge piece of this that I had to overcome and even putting my neck out there to start this platform. I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be totally like excommunicated (laughs) from all my colleagues, right? So can we start for, for those who may not really know what it is we're referring to when we're talking about imposter syndrome, can we kind of help people understand what that might look like? Yes. So, so one basic definition is this struggle to internalize your own successes. So the struggle to internalize the strengths that you have, the capabilities that you have. And then the other sort of basic part of it is these fraudulent feelings that pop up. So this idea that people are eventually going to find out that you are a total fraud, that you are a total imposter, you don't know what you're doing, then creates just a lot of sort of turmoil psychologically and physically. And just to give you a little background, so these two psychologists, I think last name plans back in the 70s, they were working with a lot of sort of high-functioning, high-achieving women. Um, I think it was like a grad school kind of experience. And they started to recognize that these women were all sharing these similar fraudulent feelings. And so they kind of did a deeper dive into it. They published this paper. And then in the 70s, they coined the term imposter syndrome, imposter experience. So since then, it's been evolved and people kind of understand it a little bit more deeply. And we'll get into that as it relates to Valerie Young's work. But it's not a formal diagnosis. It's not listed in the DSM. It's more of a experience that um, initially was zoned in on women, but they've now since then have realized that men experience it too, or people that, you know, non-binary individuals. It doesn't discriminate between class, race, gender, anything. Actually, there's a stat about 70% of us will experience it at one time or another, which that's a lot of people. So that's a lot. So it's almost a part of the human experience to some degree, maybe at some point in our life where a lot of us are maybe prone to or bound to experience it at one point or another. 
Yeah. And another way to kind of describe it, it's so Clance and Imes kind of created this cycle of how the imposter sort of syndrome works. So in everyone's cycle of what it looks like, maybe a little different, but it tends to kind of go in this loop. So you're presented with an achievement related task. Let's take this podcast, for example. So you reach out to me via DM like, hey, I love this topic. Would you come on and talk about it? So then yeah. I'm sort of presented with this task of, oh, I got to, you know, you know, be the expert, show up, give all this information that then ignites anxiety. Okay. Do I know enough? <laughs> do, do You're already talking to my freaking heart, Kelly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if I going to say the right thing, it should figure out that, that actually I know, I know nothing and I'm a total fraud. And then, so that anxiety then leads us to either over-preparing or procrastinating. So over-preparing may look like I'm up all night last night, you know, reading my notes, studying, you know, and it can be a little less dramatic than that or to procrastination. Okay, I'm going to avoid that. I'm too anxious. I, I can't I can't deal with this right now. Or it's a mix, a little bit of both. And then you get to the actual experience. So what we're doing now, and once it's sort of over, you feel the sense of relief, like, oh, like, okay, I, I got out of that. But then as soon as you get feedback, so you may say to me like, Kelly, that was awesome. It was super helpful. Like my community, it really resonated. It essentially just bounces off of me. It's like that saying like rubber, like kind of just bounces right off. I don't internalize it as like, oh no, this is something that you, your competence was able to communicate this experience and if people really understood it and that was because of you, I'll just sort of be like, oh, I could have said this. I might minimize it. I might think I, I could have done better. And then the cycle just starts over and over. And it just, it just keeps going. And then not to mention the physiological response as part of that cycle and the nervous system being totally hijacked because the anxiety and this fear that we're going to be exposed, that someone's going to, she is a fraud. Rooted in anxiety and sort of negative beliefs about self then, is that kind of what perpetuates the cycle? Yes. And I would say perfectionism. So I think imposter syndrome and perfectionism, and we'll get into the types and and, and that is one of the types. That blew my mind. I can't wait for us to do that. Yeah. We can dive into that. But yes, essentially, if you have sort of perfectionist tendencies, you may be a little bit more prone than to sort of this feeling of like, you know, it's not good enough, or I need to know more or, or you just may feel like I, I, I am a fraud, like I am literally a fraud. So for example, it's like when I walked into graduate school that first day, and I came from a completely different field, I literally felt like I was a fraud. I was walking around, you know, a psych graduate student, but in reality, in my heart, I was like, I don't feel that way at all. So it's just this right. disconnect between kind of maybe a lot of the other evidence that you're just failing to recognize. A lot of people switch careers or, or whatever, maybe. And it's interesting. I feel like I've faced this at different layers and like, you know, to different degrees in life. And I think that we can take this and apply it to motherhood in a moment. But I'm actually currently facing something. And this is like exactly what I'm going through mm-hmm. um, to the point that I've procrastinated because I'm so perfectionist and like scared about it. I've been presented with the opportunity to submit a book deal to like a publisher and and to like, start this publishing Absolutely. opportunity. And I, I um, signed a literary agent. And if she's listening to this, she's probably laughing because I've been procrastinating and not responding to her emails. <laughs> because because I, like all of these things. So I, I, I've gone through this in different levels. When I was starting my Instagram page, like, you know, oh, what are all my colleagues going to think? And how can, how dare you step out in this way? Because it's like, we come from this very sort of, you know, archaic mindset around anything digital media in our field. So that was really a big step, really hard. And each new layer has kind of come with its own. But this publishing and being in written print piece 
is like, you're not conducting research. This is not like all the things. Imposter loves, loves anything that's new and different and challenge. Yes, it likes to eat, eat that alive. Yeah, like you didn't study English. Like you, what do you know about how to write any form of literature? Like you're a therapist, like all these types of thoughts that come up, right? One I hear a lot is who do you think you are, right? Right. Who do you think you are? Exactly. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to like close my eyes and dictate what I want to say to Google Documents because I'm just like, I'm not going to stare at the blinker and psych myself out. I've scheduled time in my schedule in the new year. Just going to like close my eyes, not overthink it and just talk it out to Google Docs because I can't get caught up in the procedural pieces of like, does this sound good enough? Is this how my grammar, blah, blah, blah. Or I will psych myself out 100%. And so I'd love to take this and apply this to motherhood because I find that imposter syndrome in my life up until motherhood was something that can be managed Mm -hmm. by over-preparing or by seeking more knowledge, which we're going to get into in the types in a minute. I always could just learn more Mm -hmm. and then do it, right? Mm -hmm. In motherhood, uh, that's not exactly how it works, is it? (laughs) Oh, it's like the very opposite. Yes, it, it, it can be so hard, so hard. So I'm curious what those thoughts look like in motherhood. If we just kind of sit with that for a moment, like maybe it looks like, oh, I wasn't meant to be a mom or if motherly instincts aren't kicking in, then who am I? Like, I wasn't supposed to do this. I'm not maternal enough or these types of thoughts, right? Yes. And I have actually a personal example where it can come up where, you know, after I had my son, I I was in, it was a mommy group. It was, and it wasn't necessarily anything just specific. And it was four of us. So it was five, including me. And the mommies in this particular group were just sort of gushing over their experience and, and, and their birth and what breastfeeding has been like. And for whatever reason, it just seemed, and I don't know if it was sort of a group thing going on where they didn't feel comfortable sharing sort of the other side of motherhood. And so I sat there being like, oh my gosh, like I, I need to get out of here. Like I don't belong. I'm not a good mom and, and I'm like the total fraud. And right. So I kind of took in sort of what their experience was as if, you know, it then meant something about me as if, you know, something right. was inherently wrong with me or that I was some sort of fraud in my ability to, you know, be a good mom or just the fact that I struggled. So I think it can happen. And, you know, the traditional sense of imposter syndrome was more in kind of academia and career. But yes, I think it can translate to motherhood. Of course, it's it's a new role. It's as oh, if right. a brand new job and a brand new exactly. How could you not feel like an imposter, right? We have our intuition and our, you know, just kind of naturally sort of different skill set. But at the end of the day, it's such a new experience that we're going to feel not super competent in 100%. So. Right. And then I see this trying to be managed or cope with by trying to find, by over-researching, trying to find the absolute right way by leaning towards perfectionism, which we're going to talk about, by searching for what is right, you know, and all of these really sort of concrete, just consuming and becoming preoccupied with research and trying to understand what the best choice is and all of these types of things, which comes from a really like adaptive place where we want to... We want to do well by like ourselves and our babe, right? Yeah. 
yeah. but can become absolutely paralyzing and can make us feel like we're failing a lot of the time because there is no perfect way. There is no right way. And we're setting ourselves up to feel uh, like yeah. we're not good enough. Right. Yeah. And I think it's also sort of maybe either subconscious or conscious way of trying to alleviate that anxiety. Right. So I remember, I mean, I had so many sleep books, so yes. many sleep books that I was reading versus following just kind of his routine or his his own sort of cadence, I guess. But to to alleviate that anxiety of not knowing what I was doing, I would reach for those resources. Oh, just right. give me the answer. When in reality, it was just this uncomfortable part of the experience where I didn't know. I didn't know what the right thing was. And like you said, there is no right way. And even if there was, it changes the next day. <laughs> so something to keep. I So I do think it's it's a way to alleviate anxiety at times. I think so. I think so too. We really grasp for certainty when things feel chaotic, right? And research and more information feels like certainty. But the challenge in new motherhood is that there's so much conflicting advice and research. So then it can create a spiral of its own and it becomes all very overwhelming. So... I really was blown away by, I'd never seen it like laid out before, like you had laid it out on Instagram, the different types and how imposter syndrome can show up in sort of different personas. Can we unpack that a bit? Let's go into this. This is based off of Valerie Young's uh, research and, and her sort of decade sort of dedication to this experience of imposter syndrome. So she has her doctorate in education. And so when she was going through her dissertation, she did it on imposter syndrome because she came across that paper that I had mentioned earlier um, where they first coined the term. And then she's like, oh my gosh, this I so identify with this. She then went in and did her dissertation. And then that resulted in doing like workshops around it and mainly for women at the time. So she's been doing this for a while, but came across her book. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so helpful as a way to kind of detail what the experience may feel like to each individual person. Mm-hmm. So came up with five competency types. So these types are rooted in our rules around how we sort of believe we would achieve feeling competent. So the there's the perfectionist, there's the natural genius, the soloist, the superhero, and the expert. So the perfectionist, we'll start with that one because I think that's super self-explanatory. This type is, is someone that feels things need to be perfect. They need to be done a certain way. And if it's not perfect, then it indicates that they're not competent. So that's how it, that's how the, the types start to kind of relate back to how we view or what our belief system is about competency and success. So the, let's see, the expert. So this person, like we were talking about earlier, needs to know everything. Like they need to keep learning. They feel like they need to know everything in order to be competent. So it's it's usually never enough, right? Because who knows everything, right? Mm-hmm. So with this podcast, that's kind of the type that started talking to me. You don't know everything. You don't, you don't have all the research all, you know, organized in your mind to be able to present it. You need to know more before you can go out into the world and and be talking about it. When in reality, it's like, no, I know enough to be able to talk about it. So we can get into kind of reframing it later. So, and then there's the natural genius. So the natural genius usually sets super high lofty goals for themselves. And then when they fail, then it tells them that they're not competent. When in reality, failure is part of success. It's part of the process. And when we're setting such lofty goals, most likely there may be some room for error. So it's this idea of I must get it on the first try in order to be competent. Mm -hmm. Soloist, so that's kind of self-explanatory where they feel like they need to do it on their own in order to be competent. So any sign of support is like weakness. 
So if someone's helping them along the way, then they don't feel like... Oh, that one strikes a chord because I hear that in sessions with moms all the time. Yeah, that one really plays into like, well, everybody else is doing it. I should be able to do it. I should be able to keep my house. I should be able to feed the kids, freaking organic, whatever. I should be able to all the things. And if I ask for help, I'm failing. I should be able to do this. So that one, the soloist and the superhero, I think are like, I just think of moms specifically because the superhero then is one that I have to maintain and juggle all of these roles. And I have to do it well, and I have, I have to do it in a way that's successful. And if I can't juggle all these roles, or if one slips off, then it evokes shame. And it evokes this feeling of like their imposter in that particular focus of their life. So talk about moms juggling roles. Like that's just part of the experience, right? We're, we're all yeah. you know, jumping around. And so those two, yeah, the soloist and the superhero, I tend to think of kind of the mom experience. But also too, you know, I had a lot of people when I posted on it being like, oh my gosh, I identify with all of them. Right. And, I, you know, my comments were like, yeah, I, I, I do too, right? Like, I think there's different experiences and different sort of achievement related or kind of producing some sort of result will maybe evoke a different sort of style or type of the imposter syndrome. So that, and that's again, based on Valerie Young, you know, through the workshops, she collected all this data over the last decade of all these different experiences. And that's how those types came Fascinating. And when I think about it, I think in my professional and sort of independent life, I very much fall into this expert sort of, and that I blame our freaking field for that because, you know, actually that's a really good question. Where do these ideas and beliefs about competency come from? I suspect they're through what is modeled in our experiences like early in life, would you say? hundred percent. Like most things, like most of sort of our roots are all kind of, you know, based in our childhood experiences, our parent relationships, caregiver relationships, some of the research that shows, I mean, it's, it's based on kind of like um, how, you know, achievement was sort of discussed or if it was a really high achieving household, like say you had, you had two parents that were, you know, doctors and lawyers and all the things. So achievement might have been something that was very valued. Also, if you grow up in a household where there, you maybe have a critical parent or a parent that's critical and praise and kind of goes back and forth through those two sort of kind of ways of supporting. And then the idea of like competitiveness. So competitiveness between sort of maybe siblings or be, or if you're, if you went to like a private school that was super competitive with all of the other students, you may kind of sort of then create these ideas and belief systems about how you need to be competent. I know for me, it was sort of a, an experience of nothing was good enough right? It always could be better. Oh, you got an A minus? What? Why didn't you get an A? So those start to internalize in the, in the little person and our little selves. And we start to think like, oh, in order for me to be competent, then I need to do it perfectly. Then I need to get that A, right? So it definitely a lot is kind of built with our childhood and adolescence. But I also think a big piece of where this kind of stems from is often rooted in, in big transitions in life, right? So if you're changing careers or you're becoming a mom, Being novice at anything is my like biggest pet peeve. Not a fan, not a fan of being novice or new to anything. It's cool. And talk about, again, you know, going back to that physiological response, our nervous system reacts to it. We go into that fight flight mode because we're perceiving a a threat or a fear of some kind, even though it's not real, it's not going to kill us. It feels like it because it's a very big emotional challenge. 
this is really so fascinating because I was saying like, I can see this in different parts of myself in different roles that, that expert role really coming out in our field. And part of that is like, you need to have your master's then you need to have your PhD in order to do this. And then really like you can you are not considered an expert in our field unless you've publications on the topic and you've done the research. Mm-hmm. So here I am in this field that sort of identifies expert as a very particular, very tunnel vision kind of way. And I've actually had this conversation with colleagues who, you know, might call themselves experts or people who call themselves experts on social media. And we're like, no, you know, like, but how I can then allow myself to step into a space when in my mind, I don't fit that idea of what an expert should be. So that's been a big thing in my Instagram podcasting professional experience, right? And then within motherhood, this soloist, and I partially blame society (laughs) for this Mm -hmm. in terms of expectations of mothers, how mothers are set up within the house and support and society. And like there's this is a bigger problem that unspoken messages to moms and women is that you should be able to carry all of this and keep it together. Mm -hmm. And so when women feel that they can't, it feeds directly, those messages feed directly into this soloist idea of what it means to do motherhood well. And then when we feel like we're not doing it well, because it's overwhelming and all of the things start to crash down, like in also the superhero one where we can't juggle all the things effectively, then we feel like we're failing, right? Yes, 100%. And you you nailed on on another sort of root is that societal piece and the messages that we get, especially as women. And again, it it spans. It it is definitely part of it. And it's it's hard. It's super hard because we do internalize it as if it's something about us as if it's something wrong with us. And we also tend to feel really alone, alone in the experience as if nobody else, right? So given, you know, therapists on Instagram, we may feel like, oh my gosh, like I I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like a fraud here. And we may feel like we're the only ones that feel like that. When in reality, we all feel that way, right? Because talking about with the expert piece, it's like, how can you really be an expert, right? There's new information coming out all of the time. It's almost unrealistic to think that you can be a full, you know, expert and, and know everything and do everything. And, and it's just, it's not realistic. Oh, well, and I'm sure even if, if and I had like five publications under my belt, I would still think that's not good enough to define my role as expert, right? Like it's like the target is constantly moving. And I'm like, at what point do I feel like I've arrived? I never do. And I never will. Cause the more I learn, the more I'm like, man, there is so much information in the world, right? Well, yeah. And, and, you know, Valerie Young in her book, she talks about that. We just, we keep on this hamster wheel of the cycle. And even if you have more and more achievements, you have more evidence to show that you in fact aren't an imposter. You actually are really good at what you do, or you have a lot of knowledge. It doesn't necessarily make you feel any better, right? It's all right. We, we that then tend to minimize and discredit like, oh, you know, I just got lucky or yeah, if anybody worked that hard, they'd get it too, right? You, you then sort of again, push away your abilities, your skill set, your strengths, and act as if that isn't part of your success. Want to get smarter about your health, but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. 
Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MomWell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's ZocDoc.com slash MomWell. ZocDoc.com slash MomWell. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code MOMWELL50 to get 50% off your first box. It's really fascinating. And it makes me think about, you're talking about how it becomes a very lonely place to be. And I think about this professionally and in motherhood, where um, you're struggling with imposter syndrome, whether feeling like you need to be the expert or feeling like you should be the soloist, but you're not because you have to ask for help and you can't be the superhero because you have to rely on others or you're not going to make it, you know, and thinking about when something challenges our belief about how good enough we're doing and our worth and our competency, especially in the role of motherhood and whether we're doing a good enough job, in comes shame, right? Yeah. And when we talk about isolation and when we talk about not feeling connected to others, uh, shame is this really gut-wrenching, uncomfortable emotion that literally makes us want to hide from people, right? Like, let me close my laptop, never look at this book proposal ever again, and just pretend (laughs) that it's not even a thing because that is 
so uncomfortable. Right. Shame is one of those just dark and scary emotions. And as Brene Brown always, you know, you know, talks about it, it's something that we don't talk about because it is really intense and it's really painful. And, and again, it's it's this idea that there's something wrong with us, that there that we are inherently flawed in some sort of way. And then it kind of leads to hopelessness and all kinds of different things. And yeah, the isolation and feeling like you're the only one just compounds the experience, just makes it so much worse. So, you know, the idea of connecting, and we'll talk about kind of different strategies, but the idea of connecting with others who feel similar, that validation, it seems so simple, but that validation and that normalization, it can help so much that you are not the only person that feels that way through that same cycle. And exactly how you're describing that book, I've been there. I've been there how many, like, so many times. <laughs> Every week, I feel like I'm there. Right. Or like facing a dissertation or like any big project that you're just like, oh my gosh, you know? Yeah. And I think that it's easier for me to rationalize that when it is academics because like I can just decide, oh, I don't want to go down that route. Or I want to, there's an option for me there. I can do the book or I can not do the book. I can make up an excuse and drop the book if I want to, though I don't want to, but I could. But in motherhood, there's no escaping this, right? I mean, we could try to avoid because that's what we do with in anxiety and, and, and emotions that make us feel uncomfortable is we can like try not to ask for help or we can try not to do certain things, but there is no real avoiding. No, there's not. You see them every day and they're a reminder of just what you need to be doing. But I think it's something what's important to remind yourself of is this is kind of like a chip away type of process right? So those feelings in motherhood, they may not go away completely because I think motherhood, especially you're always tasked with something new, right? You know, wherever you're in your developmental stage, new, then you have teenagers or whatever. Exactly. There's always something that's going to feel new and really challenging. You're going to feel like you, you don't know what you're doing or you're messing up or those kinds of things. It's almost sort of part of that experience, right? So right. I think sometimes our goal is to get rid of it completely. And it's kind of similar to anxiety. We have this goal of getting rid of it completely, but in reality that probably won't happen. It's more of a focus on reducing the intensity and the frequency of those feelings. And I think that can help adjust the expectations of what our goal is. Because to completely feel like number one mom, I've got all my, you know, stuff together and I'm just killing it. You know, you may feel like that from here from time to time, but there's other times where you just won't. And that is just part of the the human experience and being a mom. But if we can kind of zone in on, okay, like how can I kind of chip away at this and and sort of integrate it into my daily life and and how do I sort of move myself forward in that process versus succumbing to the feelings, that's kind of where the the real work. And I really appreciate you saying that and setting these realistic expectations because Yeah, like this imposter syndrome and this like way of thinking is something that I've bumped up against at any new sort of level. And it's something that I know and I know that I have to process through and manage. And and it's important for me to do that because I don't want to avoid or I don't want to procrastinate. I don't want to miss out on opportunities or, you know, things. So if we're going in with an expectation, this is the same with any, I feel like any of this type of work that we do, anxiety, mommy rage, depression, anxiety, like our goal is not that we're going to, you know, eradicate this experience from our, you know, life. It's that when it does come on, can we manage it? Can we tolerate it? Can we push through it? Can I plug my ears, close my eyes and dictate something to Google Docs and get a proposal on paper? Can I do that? Yes. Right. And so I I really appreciate you setting these realistic expectations because just because we're having this conversation, just because we're understanding some of the ways that we can manage imposter syndrome 
doesn't mean that if you feel it again, we haven't done our job or, you know, if we're prone to feeling this way, I've come to accept and know I will probably feel this way at any new tier or level that I'm taking my business to or any of those things. Mm -hmm. Or like, I will not know how to parent three teenage boys at some point. That's going to be a lot. And there's going to be girlfriends. And like, I still, I don't know. Right. But how we manage that effectively. The other piece too, to kind of add on to what you just said, you know, that idea of when we can kind of also reframe it as when we're feeling this way, it also is showing that we care, right? So even, even in this podcast, you know, sitting down before I logged on, I felt it coming up. So I recognized it. I noticed it was coming up. Like, do you know enough? Are you going to say the right thing? I then tried to kind of sort of regulate the physiological response, but then reminding myself that I care, that I want to make sure that I'm offering value and, and that I'm passionate about what I'm doing. So it's also, we have to recognize that these imposter feelings is usually a root of our, how much we, we care and how much we value whatever it is that we're doing, which shows a lot about who we are and our character, because we didn't care, you know, yeah, it might feel a little bit better, but we would just, just be like, screw it. And maybe that's yeah. not our work or whatever. So I think it's also just a, a sign of, of how much we value whatever it is that we're putting, like your, your book, right? Like you right. value what you put in that. It, it's that passion and that energy that's going into that project. So of course you're going to feel a little unnerved about the experience yeah. because it's, you know, it means something to you. It's meaningful. Yeah. And it's been a goal of mine since like I can remember. And then when we also think about applying this to motherhood and the kids, like it's our kids, the stakes are high, right? Like the stakes feel very high. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's always, always often coming from just a place of deep, deep love, that love that is so, un, you can't even describe the love for your children, right? It is just, it's so yeah. hard to try to describe it, but yes, you want the best for them. And so you're trying to, you know, do that through how you, how you parent and the things you do. And again, we're, we are human. So in my mother up community and the mentorship, we've been talking a lot about self-compassion and how it's like the remedy to our inner critic and stuff. So, well, let's get into managing it. Maybe that's a piece of, I don't know your tips and tricks in terms of managing. So why don't we go there? What's some effective ways to manage this imposter syndrome? Yeah. And I, and again, I'll start out, you know, reiterating that idea of kind of a chip away process, right? So, you know, these are, conditioned sort of beliefs and conditioned ways of thinking that are most likely probably years and years worth of conditioning, especially, you know, it being rooted maybe in our in our childhood experiences and whatnot. So to expect it to change overnight, unrealistic, right? You know, I always give the example of if you expect to go into the gym and expect to walk out with a six pack, well, yeah, I may, you know, try to hear you away from that. Um, <laughs> this isn't like Beverly Hills where you go into the doctor and come out with like... <laughs> No, it is not. I mean, that would be wonderful. That would make our easier. But no, so I think these strategies that I'll mention again are just things over time. So the one that I'll mention is that can be really helpful initially is understanding the roots and and your individual cycle of it. So understanding and, and and giving some space and some time to understand maybe where it's coming from. Like, is it maybe kind of you know what your household was like, or did you switch careers recently? Or, or whatever it may be to just kind of understand the context of it so that you can separate the experience from you. So it's not as if, you know, I, there's something wrong with me. It's, it's this experience based on what has happened to me or what I've gone through, that kind of thing. 
And I think too, working with therapists can be super helpful to understand the roots too. that, you know, just having a sounding board, but then also defining what your cycle is. You know, I mentioned the cycle that the, the researchers, you know, determine as kind of a typical, but maybe yours is a little different, right? So understand kind of what happens when you're presented with something new or challenging can be really, really helpful to build that insight. The other thing, normalize, right? So that idea that 70% of us have experienced this from one time or another, know that you're not alone. And hopefully you can kind of navigate towards a group of people that also experience similarly so that you can share experiences, right? Like we're humans, we're wired to connect with one another, we're wired to kind of sort of, you know, attune to one another. So if you can find someone in your field or, you know, close friend that that can kind of talk you through maybe sort of what you're going through, that can be really impactful. Self-compassion, yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so basic. It also is really hard because we're like, who who talks to themselves in that way? But how beautiful a way to talk to yourself, right? Like, how would you talk to your little boy or your little girl who's struggling with something? You know, how could you kind of bring that same sort of cadence and tone and um, language to yourself? So if you do have something challenging come up, literally say out loud, wow, this is hard. This is a hard experience. I'm doing the best that I can and I'll continue to do the best that I can. So just having that self-talk be just tweet a little bit or just kind of recognizing when that critic or that imposter sort of is like, ah, that can be helpful too. What are my other tips? Yeah, I think that self-compassion is a really like, I don't know, popular buzzword and people are like, yeah, yeah, talk to myself more kindly and, you know, but when I really dug into this more to understand it and how it's actually one of the cornerstones of our mental well-being to speak kindly to ourselves, and how when we are actually critical to ourselves in hard moments, that is like kicking ourselves when we're down quite literally, or is to like pour gasoline on the fire of our distressful emotion to add in criticism. So it is not just a, oh, this is a nice thing to do for ourselves. It's like an essential component of us riding out suffering and distressing emotions. And it's rewiring your brain, right? So these neural pathways of of being mean to yourself and being harsh, and maybe you had harsh parents that did similar or something like that, but you're working to retrain that wiring and create a new path. And so that the default isn't, you know, beating yourself up, the default is like, hmm, maybe how can I look at this a little bit more holistically? And, and it, not every single time are you going to able to call up, you know, this, right. but if we can continue to kind of practice and chip away at it, it starts to get louder, louder and louder. Yeah. I think even an awareness that our inner critic and our imposter syndrome is not necessarily telling us the fact. And this is a really big theme in conversations that I've had with clients this week is that because it comes in our inner voice, because it's such a familiar story we tell ourselves, it delivers a feeling of truth with it. Yes. But yes. this inner critic and these beliefs are formed by experiences as children that we didn't have the information to process and rationalize effectively, Correct. right? Yeah. So I didn't have the ability, let's say, when I'm younger and my parents are saying, uh, you know, where is the other 5% or like whatever some of these achievement remarks are. I didn't have the ability in that moment to say, oh, they've had a bad day. They're in a bad mood. Oh, that's sarcasm. That's joking. We don't have that rational ability as young people. Brain's not developed, right? Our brain is not developed. So our inner critic is Mm -hmm. formed by... This young person who's stuck Mm -hmm. in a very egocentric perspective, we do not Mm -hmm. and cannot and can't fault ourselves for not seeing it clearly. 
Yes, exactly. And think about where those feelings are going, right? So, so even though you're a young person, you may cognitively not understand because the brain, the prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed yet. And it's not fully developed until like 24 or 25 years old. So you have this big experience happening in your little world, but the feeling is still there and the feeling is still intense. So those feelings kind of, they get stuck and, and they just sort of you know, fester. And then it kind of creates sort of these adult behaviors and adult tendencies. And so, so yes, so processing and being able to acknowledge those feelings, I think is another piece that's super important. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I am feeling this way. And it makes sense why I'm feeling this way can be really helpful. And another thing that just popped in my mind, a flip side, this kind of lends itself to sort of um, like manifestation and things like that. But another sort of strategy that I think is really helpful is that visualization of what it may feel like to feel that success, to internalize that success. So if it is, you know, your book, we'll use that as an example, sort of that of meditative visualization of when your book comes out and what it will feel like to accomplish that and what you'll notice in your body and kind of give yourself that kind of like priming of allowing yourself to feel the good emotions and those big emotions. Cause then we get these good emotions. We, we do well, we get these good emotions and then we just brush them aside <laughs> and right. minimize them. But it's like, no, whoa, let's just stop. You just, you just published a book. Oh my gosh. Like, where do you feel it? What do you feel like? And allowing that to resonate because let's be real. We spend a lot more time feeling the not so good feelings and, and kind of honing in on those versus we do with the feelings that we're all trying to chase after. So I think that that piece of of visualization and and then also allowing yourself to feel the joy or the accomplishment or whatever is so important. It's interesting. I had got some like books that are similar to what mine will be to sort of see the flow of them, how they're structured and you know, what they look like, how they're laid out and whatever. And I was like, it's interesting how when I did that, I went right into like comparison and like psych myself out mode. Like, how am I gonna, like, I can't do this, you know, or whatever. But to really think about how good it will feel to push myself through and actually get there, very different feeling, right? And small steps, right? I think with imposter syndrome, it's about the small steps, like thinking of like the natural genius. Like you don't have to to know it all and and hit it out of the park the first time, right? Your first draft doesn't have to be- Oh, for sure. Right. So it's reminding itself that these are small steps to kind of this this bigger goal so that there's not as much pressure. Right. Because and it's the same thing with the perfectionist type. It doesn't need to be perfect right out right out of the gate. And it doesn't even need to be perfect at the end because that's not realistic. But just to remind yourself that this is a step. This is a process. I think that one of the most important gifts we can give ourselves is to learn to question our inner critic to learn to question these stories that we tell ourselves, right? Like, why am I feeling like an imposter? To learn to just not, because what I find, this trap that we fall into until we become aware, we practice this awareness and we practice this questioning is we just believe because it makes sense. It's there. It's been familiar. Mm -hmm. We just believe that it's true. Mm -hmm. Um, But to to have a little like suspicious curiosity or like to poke around, even if it's not like with any sort of judgment or criticism, it's just curiosity like hmm how did I arrive at this what makes me feel this way totally you know what would make me feel better what do I need in order to achieve this and Mm -hmm. just play curious rather than inherently believe that script for what it is that that in itself plus like these other strategies but that in itself can unlock just so much for us yes yes and I would say kind of in addition to that just just acknowledging the story, 
or the narrative that is being created. Just acknowledge sort of where the thoughts are taking sort of this this bigger story that is most likely not always true, right? So our mind likes to create stories to make meaning, to understand things. But again, thoughts are not facts and these stories are not facts. And so to to recognize that's what's happening. Um, And yeah, be curious. I think being curious um, can go a long way. Seems so simple, but it can definitely go a long way. Yeah. And it's not like you had said, it's not true all of the time. Like I am not a bad mom. That's a blank statement. That's a black or white belief, right? I have definitely made mistakes as a mother. Mm -hmm. I've definitely made a lot of amazing choices as a mother too, right? So even when we hold these beliefs or these stories that we tell ourselves, then we get really down a a rabbit hole of, you know, CBT and, and beliefs and our thought life. But but so incredibly helpful to see that it's not black and white. When have been some times that you've been an amazing mom? What wins have you had in your day today? Yes. What are all the balls that you've juggled versus the one that's fallen on the floor? Yeah, yeah. Right. How much like we don't acknowledge that or how little of time that we spend acknowledging all the things that we have done. And I think it's the same with the imposter experience, how little we spend time being like, oh, wow, I did that. I did that. I did this. Wow. I really succeeded here, here and here. Right. So it's one of those things that, again, we kind of brush aside and just sort of focus on the the more, the bigger feelings that don't feel as good. But in reality, really acknowledging and just putting it out into the air can be so, so powerful and so impactful. Yeah. Yeah. Like I did all those things and I did it on my own and, and wow, that feels really good. So yeah, super important. Yeah. It makes me think about, um, when I did have these feelings initially starting in the Instagram world, I formed like a mastermind group and these ladies have been through it all, all of us all together with these feelings of like, oh my gosh, we're going to launch our first product. And, oh, we hit this number for the first time. And, oh, we're going to launch podcasts and products and courses and things. And, and to know that we all share in these feelings of like, who are we? What the heck are we doing here? Right. And we all have these moments just does feel really reassuring. It feels like we're seen by one another. It helps us to know, like to stand in our competence and like all the training we do have. So sharing that experience and having a community of people who can back you in that. Yes. That's such a good reminder too, of just Instagram in general, right? So like, we're kind of, you know, speaking about the therapist where we, we follow other therapists and we're like, oh man, she, she has her stuff together. She knows what she's talking about. Wow. She puts that information, like she must just kill it. Right. And outside of our therapy world, just scrolling Instagram, the good old highlight reel, we just assume that everyone's just sort of in a different mindset. And when in reality, we're all often on the same page, right? We're all right. And we're all comparing and how unhelpful it can be. But yes, having that connection with other, you know, colleagues or friends that kind of understand where you're coming from and having that support is so key and so, so important. This has been fascinating. And I had done a perfectionist episode with Dr. Jen. It's the most wildly popular episode on the podcast. I suspect this'll this'll be chasing that one in terms of how people feel and how it will resonate. So thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Yeah. And just a just a resource, and I don't have any affiliation with her at all, Valerie's book. Yeah, what's it called? The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women, Why Capable People Suffer from the Imposter Syndrome and How to Thrive in Spite of It. So she does a beautiful job like outlining the different research, outlining the types, and then she gives a bit of a like how-to So this has been something that I've thought has been really useful and a nice kind of uh, resource. I'm also going to be putting together 
just because I realized so many people, it's resonating, like you said, I'm going to put together a free sort of download with a lot of this information and a little bit more information probably in January. And then I'm thinking about maybe creating a little mini course so that people have more information if interested. So a good place to start. She She's a great place to kind of dive into it. And the way she, she talks in the book is very relatable and she kind of comes from her own experience. So it's a very easy read. It's not too clinical or anything like that. So. I will be buying that book. Let <laughs> <laughs> yes. hang up here. And um, in terms of when this interview is going to air, probably late January, early February. So what I'll make sure to do is any of those resources, if you've got them done at the time, they will be linked in our show notes through the podcast description so that you can find all of the resources that Dr. Kelly is making. And where can people find you? Where are you hanging out online? Yeah. So my um, my website is drkellyvincent.com. And then I'm on Instagram and it's Vincent. Thank you so much for this today. Thank you for having me. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description. Or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happyasamother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, Mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option. For Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all, and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.